Welcome to my backyard. We have switched from the kitchen table to the backyard because it's such a great day outside. My inbox has been full of emails. I had 37 when I got up this morning. I get these newsletters from all kinds of places. I get daily devotionals. In fact, I have skipped reading so many emails, you'd think I'd been raptured already. In fact, my inbox is so crowded it makes Costco look empty. So I get these amazing headlines and these emails like, how to survive COVID-19, how to help your neighbor if you think your neighbor is sick. Or I get ministry ones that say, hey, can you help support us? Or can you take notice of the resources we have for you? Of course, there's always the webinars that I tune into from those emails, and they always guarantee things like, hey, 30 days to make your church grow during COVID-19 and lose 30 pounds, and you'll like it. Well, anyway, you type in your email address, and they take that and sell it to everybody else, and all of a sudden, my, my inbox is flooded with things. Now, some of them are good things, and some of them are theological journals I get. Some of them are things that pastors need to be aware of. And so I have to go through all the email, and I'm looking at it. I go, do I really need this? Am I going to really read these things? And so I'm always delete, delete, delete. For some of us, though, there's that at the very bottom of that email, there's that line that says unsubscribe. Oh, that's a game changer. So I'm starting to hit clean up my inbox and I'm, and I'm unsubscribing to emails. And it just makes me feel like, well, well, ashamed because I'm unsubscribing to devotionals. What kind of pastor am I if I'm unsubscribing to devotionals? You'd think I'd read them all, but I don't have time to read all my email. I don't have time to read every good thing on the internet. Now, there are some emails I get. There's no unsubscribe at the bottom. Drives me bonkers. So here's what happens. Somebody in the community grabs my email address, and then they start sending me stuff. And the only way to get out of it, right, the only way is for you to send them an email. Please take me off your list. But man, that's super awkward. Dear Bill, I'm sure the handbell choir that will save the world with the gospel is a good thing, but please take me off your list. And then you know what's going to happen? I'm going to see Bill at Starbucks someday. And you want to talk about awkward. But what would it be like if we could unsubscribe to trouble? That's right. What if we could unsubscribe to our problems? You know, just hit a button and we could unsubscribe from from uh, uh, financial difficulty. We could unsubscribe from marriage difficulty. We could unsubscribe to heartache and pain and grief and loss. What if we could just unsubscribe from those things? But the bottom line is that we can't unsubscribe to those things, but, but yet we want to. We want to avoid all those things that are painful uh, to ourselves as well. I cleaned up my inbox by unsubscribing, and at times I'd just like to unsubscribe from life, right? We'd like to unsubscribe from difficulty, but that's not an option for us because difficulty will come our way. Often it's not a result of anything we do. Often it can be the result of things that we do. But still, we can't unsubscribe from problems. Life is full of problems. Now, here's my question. How do you unsubscribe from difficulty? Well, obviously the answer is you can't. And so what we need to do is figure out a way to get through difficult things because we can't unsubscribe. And that's what we're going to talk about today because there are points in our lives that we can't. And we're going to read Psalm 23. 
And it's a fantastic psalm. And I was talking to someone the other day. It said, you know, Psalm 23 is just a, it's a depressing psalm to me. And I got to thinking that, no, it's not depressing. It's just amazing. And so I want us to look at Psalm 23. It's 55 words in the Hebrew language, 115 or so, and depending on your English translation. And it's just an amazing poetry in which King David is, I'm going to guess, running for his life because people are trying to assassinate him. He is running as a fugitive, and yet in the midst of all that, he pins Psalm 23. So let's look at it together. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you have your Bible open, which I hope that you do, or maybe you're looking on your phone today, you need to highlight that word, the dark valleys. Now that's a metaphor, the valley of the shadow of death. It's a metaphor for going through a difficult circumstance, and in fact, the whole Psalm 23 is a metaphor calling God our shepherd and we're like sheep as well. No one goes through life without problems. No one just sails through life without any difficulty. That's just, that's just an impossibility. And so we must learn to figure out how do we go through difficulty and come out on the other side better. So you can try to unsubscribe from problems, but the key is you need to realize I have to go through it to unsubscribe. Now, for some of you, you're in the middle of a dark valley. You may have lost your job. You may have applied for unemployment and it hasn't come yet. I've had some friends, they have applied and it hasn't come yet. And I, I know business owners who have applied for the small business loan and they've applied, but they haven't heard anything yet. And so they're wondering, where's this going? So some of you are right in the middle of a dark valley. Others of you, you've climbed out of a dark valley recently. In fact, you've been through tough times in your marriage. You've been through tough times personally, and right now you're doing fine, and that's great, but you know what it's like to go through dark times. Others of you, life is good right now, but I want you to know something. Everyone eventually is headed to the dark valley. We go through it, and then we come out of it, and then we go through through the next one. So we can't avoid those. We can't unsubscribe. We have to learn to go through those together. I'm guessing King David, as I said, was on the run from Saul. Maybe he was on the run from other people trying to kill him. At times, he was fleeing for his life with his band of brothers. And there's a time, probably this psalm, he's in a cave. And he's just walked out of the cave. And he sees the valley. And he begins to meditate and think that, his God, the, the Lord of his life, is like a shepherd to him. And so this psalm is really meaningful to those of us going through things. So I'm going to give you five things that will help you get through the valley. And that's the way to unsubscribe from difficulty. So here's the first one. Number one, God provides. 
In order to get that, we have to think this way. Look at what you have, not at what you don't have. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. When some people look at their lives, they only see what isn't there. In other words, they're comparing themselves to other people. They look at all the things that they have, but yet they're focused on their neighbor, or they're focused on a family member. And you think of your house, it's not as big as somebody else's house. And then you begin to compare yourself, and that comparison makes you envious. And when you start comparing, you begin to think, I don't have things in life. When in reality, you do not lack anything. God provides everything that you really need. Now that in my hand here, I have my Galaxy Samsung phone. It's an S6. I'm five years behind. And I saw somebody with a new Galaxy phone the other day, and I thought, man, God hasn't provided me a new phone. I need a new phone. If I took you into my garage, which I'm not, you would see my old golf clubs. And in fact, my golf clubs are so old compared to other people's, I don't even have an oversized driver. I have to borrow one every time. And then, and then if you look at my golf clubs, you think, yeah, the problem is Steve doesn't have an oversized driver. But really, the problem is my golf swing is my problem. And so we look at things and we compare ourselves to others, and therefore we think that we don't have anything as well. I want to give you a tip here. It's just pastoral wisdom for me. And it's simply this. Don't put your security in things that can go away. Don't put your security in things that can flee in a moment. Don't put your security in your job. Someday you're going to lose your job. Don't put your security in a relationship. You're going to have relational difficulties in life. So don't put your security there. Don't put your security in your bank account because there will be times that your bank account will be empty. I've talked to so many people lately who have, well, they've just struggled and they, and they just have this doom and gloom feeling that, hey, my bank account's going to be empty and then I'm going to be homeless and then, and then I'm going to have to live in Pastor Steve's garage and, and then I'm going to have to do this and you just feel so afraid of everything. Well, maybe that's because you put your security in the wrong things. Put your security in what will last forever. You will never be disappointed because God is a rock and he will never, ever leave you. So don't put your security in anything that can be taken away. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In that verse, the logic is just, it's just obvious. Think this through with me. If God gave you Jesus Christ, gave you a Savior, gave you eternal life, forgiveness of sin, removes your guilt, will He not provide everything else you need? Those are the big ones. Of course He will provide what you need. And so our response to that is to trust Him and believe that by walking with Him, we will not lack anything. David is reassuring us that the Lord is our shepherd and that the shepherd will take care of our basic needs, the things that really matter in life, our emotional needs, our mental needs, our spiritual needs as well. Max Lucado is one of my favorite authors. He's just a great storyteller, and he tells the story of a, of a man who is facing financial bankruptcy, and so he goes to see his pastor, and he goes, Pastor, I've lost everything. And the pastor says, 
well, have you, have you lost your marriage? And he goes, well, well, no, I haven't lost that. And he goes, well, have you lost your faith? And he goes, well, no, I haven't lost that. And he goes, well, have you lost your character? And he goes, I haven't lost my character. Well, have you lost your relationship with God? And he goes, no, I haven't lost that. And the pastor goes, well, it seems like everything that is really necessary you have. He hasn't lost everything. And what really matters, he still has as well. I want to give you two things that are needs that God will meet in your life. And the first one, the first bullet point is love. And the second one is peace. Every human being is created with, with the desire and need for relationships. And primary is our relationship with God. And first and foremost, you need to know something. And some of you struggle deeply with this. God loves you. You think, I can never be good enough for God to love me. And where did you get that kind of thought? You got it from our culture. You got it from the media. You got it from your parents. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God loves you unconditionally. He loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. And so as we get to know God and experience his love, it meets one of the deepest needs that we have in our lives. And as you are filled with God's love, it gives you the capacity to truly love other people and to be committed to others. So the Lord will not leave you lacking in love in your life. The second thing is peace that I mentioned. And some of you are at odds with God right now. You're listening to my voice. And quite frankly, you've been living your life like you're shaking your fist at him. You're just like, hey, God, talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I mean, for some of you, you don't really have peace with God. You're just existing with God. What kind of relationship is that? The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ eliminated the barrier between people and God through the man, Jesus Christ. You can have peace with God today. Now, this is so important because many of you struggle with living on a performance basis. You think if I just live right, then I'm going to have all kinds of peace. You've got it backwards. You need to experience God's peace. Then that enables you to live for him. So God gives us peace, and when we get filled up with God's love, He meets that need. He meets our need for peace and a relationship with Him, and then it helps us in this life go through dark valleys because He meets all the needs that we have. I want to take a minute, and I want to talk to all the moms. You got kids at home? Moms, you've been maybe homeschooling your kids lately? In fact, I talked to a mom the other day that said, I'm going crazy. I'm going bonkers with all the kids at home. I don't get a break. I've talked to dads lately who have said, man, I'm at home all day and the kids are driving me bonkers and we can't get out of the house and these kinds of things. So moms, dads, I want to give you, I want to give you a Bible verse just for you that will help you get through this time. And here it is in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, and it came to pass in those days. It's actually one of my favorite verses, and it came to pass. I mean, I'm quoting that way out of context, but you need to know that throughout the Bible, several hundred times it says, and it came to pass. That's what it's like right now. During this difficult time that some of you are facing, it's just a season. We're going to come out of this. Sometimes you get stuck in a valley, and you think, man, God is not meeting my needs. I'm going to be stuck here forever. 
Not true, not true, not true. It's just a moment in time. And you need to know that this will pass and God will create something new for you. Number two, to get through that valley is this. God restores my soul. Therefore, identify your green pastures. Psalm 23 verse 2 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. What word describes your soul right now? Now, what word? Now, it might be the word happy, and that would be awesome. It might be the word sad, depressed, joyful, content, excited, disappointed, enthusiastic. In fact, what I'd like you to do right now on YouTube is just in that chat bar, would you type in there the answer to that question, how is your soul? But here's the thing, you can only use one word. Only one word. Don't use two words. Don't use three. Don't write a paragraph. One word. And if you're doing great, awesome. We want to hear that. You're struggling? Just let us know that too. Let's just interact because we can't connect together in the church building, in the atrium, maybe in your small group. But we can try to connect online and understand that, hey, we're all in the same boat. No emotion is, is uh, different. Emotions are different for people as well. And there are things that can just refresh our souls. I mean, just being outside today is refreshing to me. And going on a walk is refreshing. And ordering Domino's pizza and they deliver it. Man, that's refreshing too. You've got all kinds of things that bring joy to your life and can refresh your soul. Have you ever heard anybody say, man, God was up there with me. I feel so close to God in nature. A few summers ago, Mary and I were at Smith Rock and we were hiking around Smith Rock and we got to one of these lookout points, and there's about five, ten people there. And I heard somebody whisper, I feel so close to God up here. And I wanted to say, of course you do. You're outside. God created all this. He created nature for us to enjoy and to refresh our souls. I wanted to preach a sermon right there and take an offering, but, you know, I had a filter on that day. You know, there are many things that can refresh our souls. You need to figure out what those are for you. Because the passage says that God leads us to green pastures. What are those for you? Here are some that are for me, and the first bullet point is God's Word. God's Word nourishes the soul. You ever read your Bible? Once a year? Once a month? How about every day? A couple times a week. Scripture is our nourishment because it is God speaking to us. So developing that habit of nourishing your soul, refreshing a tired, empty soul is God's Word. It is something that has refreshed me over and over again. Next week, I'm going to start a new uh, sermon series in the book of 1 John. And we're going to go through that together so we can understand that God who is the light of the world is the same God who loves us like a father loves a son, a father loves a daughter. And we're going to understand the depth that God wants to have a relationship with us. Some of you can also chime in and go through a book reading plan with one of our elders, Bob Renicky. And in the chat bar, we're going to list out how to get connected. And he's going to lead people through reading through the book of Luke. So you can maybe begin that habit with some other people in reading scripture. 
Here's the next thing that refreshes my soul, the next bullet point, it's God's people. I'm part of a small group and Mary and I have been part of a small group ever since we got married. In our small group right now, we laugh together, we drink coffee together, we, we uh, tell stories together, we look at scripture together, we, we uh, discuss things together, sometimes we go out to dinner together. There are times in our small group that not only do we laugh together, but we also cry together. In other words, it's at that small group that God's people can energize my soul as well. From the very beginning of time, God created people for relationships. In fact, think back with me to the Garden of Eden that God created Adam and he, God goes through all this creation material and he goes, that's good and the trees are good and the mountains are good and the rivers are good and the animals are good. And he looks at man and he goes, that's not good. Why is that? Well, I can give you the two cent answers because women are better than men. No, but seriously, here's the reason that God created man to be in a relationship with other people. So he creates Eve. It's a partnership. It's fabulous. It's exciting. But some of you struggle with relationships. And one of the best ways to work through that is to be committed in a long-term fashion to a small group. And you can learn the joys of relationships with other people. So relationships can recharge your spiritual batteries as well. I've chatted with many people who have, who have uh, uh, told me they are simply lonely during this time. In fact, they're stuck in their homes. They can't talk to other people. And therefore, they just get, well, they just get discouraged. More than ever, we need people. And so in my small group, we try to get together once a week on Zoom and just share a prayer request and talk a little bit and call it good. It's simply a way to connect. Here's another way that I think can refresh your soul. It's God's rest. Some of you need to rest. You need to slow down. And you're thinking and telling me, hey, Steve, during this time I have slowed down. And that's not what, really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is letting your mind get some rest. I'm not talking about taking a vacation. I'm not talking about a day off or a good nap. I'm talking about let your soul take a break. Let your mind take a break. And here's what happens when we rest our minds. We just begin to be able to focus on what God wants for us. And that rest is a daily thing. Every day, just hit the pause button in your life. Every day. Take out the scripture, take your phone, read your Bible app, and just think for a moment. This is God speaking to you, this word of God. It's God speaking to you. And then you can reflect on what he says to you. And you can begin to be able to think through what God wants for you in your life. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. So what's the key to rest? Coming to Jesus. So that's what rest is all about, a time in which you come to Jesus. Number three. I can get on the right path with God's help. Verse 3 says, He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. What is the right path? Can God really lead you? Yes, He can. Absolutely. For 2,000 years, Jesus has been leading people. In fact, right now, He wants to lead you. Will you let Him be the leader of your life? Will you let Him guide you? 
it's really important that we learn to listen to what God has for us. Some of you, you are at a fork in the road. And what's causing you stress and anxiety is you don't know which direction to go. You need some guidance. Some of you might be facing a decision that has three or four angles. You don't know which one to take. And when we seek God's guidance, He gives us a prompting in our hearts through the Holy Spirit to make a decision. Some of you are just wavering and it's causing all kinds of stress. Do I take option A, option B, option C? What do I do here? Man, quit struggling with that. You need to pray about that and seek God and trust Him with those things. A lot of people get their source of guidance from self-help books. I'm not against that. I have a lot of them on my shelf. A lot of people get their source of guidance, friends. Nothing wrong with that. A lot of people get it from, well, the news, uh, news media outlets and pundits on TV. And Man, I think some of those are the worst places to get guidance for life. The primary place you need to get guidance for your life is Jesus. Let me ask you something. Has Jesus ever been wrong? I mean, the Bible says He is truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He will give you exactly what you need. Here's something that I've learned. When it comes to guidance, there are times that, hey, I want to know way in advance what decision I should make. Maybe it's next year I need to make a decision. Well, God may not give you that guidance until next year. He's not going to give it to you nine months ahead of time. Why? Because He wants you to trust Him. That's why He lets you wait until that very moment. God gives you guidance at the right time, at the right moment, in the right place. It's an exciting way to live life because you're just anticipating how God is going to lead you in a decision that you need to make. You say, Steve, I, I, I need more guidance. How do I get that? Well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said in James 1.5, if you don't have wisdom, just ask for it. That's right, just ask for it. So you're in the fork in the road. You need some guidance. You're in a dark valley. You've got three or four options. Which side of the hill do I go up? We ask for wisdom. And you keep asking until you get some guidance from God as well. And I think the most important time is when we're all alone and we're seeking God in prayer, in reading scripture. I think that's the first place we go. Then the second place we go for guidance is our trust, uh, trusted closest friends, the godly people in our lives. And then we let them speak into these things for us. That's how we get godly wisdom and can make a decision. Number four, I will not fear. I love this verse. Verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know why David fears no evil? Because the shepherd has shepherd tools. That's a rod and a staff. Danger comes, they beat it away. Danger comes, they grab the sheep and get it close to the shepherd. Likewise, we have an all-powerful God who is our protector. We have an all-powerful God who is walking with us. We have an all-powerful God who is with us every step of the way. You can lose many things in life, but you can know that your shepherd is there and you have nothing to fear, nothing at all. Now, when we go through valleys, I think there are two common, I'm going to call them emotions that we could have. 
One emotion is, is, is grief because we've typically lost something when we go through a valley. When we go through a rough patch, usually we lose something. Might lose your health, might lose a relationship, you might lose an income, a job, you might lose uh, some harmony in your family. So there can be a grief from that. That's one emotion when you go through a rough patch. Another one is fear. You become incredibly afraid. So those are too much grief and fear. Now grief is good and fear is bad. In fact, the Bible tells me that God grieves. So grief is a healthy emotion. In fact, when you're going through dark places, grief is the very emotion that is like a transition for you. It helps you get through to the next stage. Some of you have gone through difficult things. You know, at times you've lost something and you become, well, you stuffed it and you haven't grieved. And what that does for you, trust me on this, what it does for you, it just makes you, it just makes you stuck in that spot. And in fact, counselors and professionals will tell me that often we go through something very traumatic. If we don't grieve properly, then we kind of get stuck at that same stage in our lives. So it's very important that we grieve properly, that we cry. It's okay to cry. Jesus cried. Jesus was emotional. Jesus grieved. Fear is a different thing. And in fact, 360 some odd times, the Bible says fear not. Grief is good. Fear is not good. So that's why David says, I will fear no evil in my life as well. You've got to stop pushing that, those things down because it will just gobble you up. Here's number five. I will enjoy God's presence. I think this is my favorite two verses right here. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 is a poem, and what David does at the end here is give what we call table imagery. It's the imagery of a banquet, and God himself is the host, and he's invited you to be present at the banquet. It's like an open for business sign, or it's like, you're welcome. I want you to come in. I want to eat with you. I want a relationship with you. And, and so the table is spread for you. I remember as a kid, I used to go to my grandmother's house for Thanksgiving, and there would be lots of relatives there. And man, grandma would put on a spread. There'd be so much food, and everybody would bring food. And one year, my aunt brought seven different kinds of pie. She wanted to make sure everybody had their favorite pie. We would invite friends, and some of my relatives would invite their other in-laws, and so we'd have this big time of, uh, of being together. But it, for my grandparents, it was the table spread, and everybody was welcome, that sense of family. I remember the first time I took Mary with me to go to that Thanksgiving uh, 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 spread at my grandmother's house, and, and we were dating at the time, and came through the front door, and my one of my favorite uncles, he was standing right there. He goes, Steve, I'm so glad you could come today. And who's this? I said, well, this is Mary. He goes, you know, you bring a different girl every time to Thanksgiving. How can I keep up with you? I said, thanks, uncle. And I turned to Mary. And I said, he's senile. Don't worry about it. And he busted out laughing. And I laughed too because, well, she was the first girl I took to that Thanksgiving. It was just a spread. It was just like welcome. 
And when David says that you prepare a table for me, it's a time that we can be in God's presence. Do you feel like you're in God's presence now? Do you really know God deeply? Do you enjoy Him? Do you think about Him? He thinks about you. The table is always spread for you. It's a feast. And He wants you to come and enjoy being in His presence. Where is God when you're in the midst of the valley? He's right there preparing a feast for you. I think the phrase in front of your enemies is just a way to contrast things for King David. Yes, he will be in God's presence and others will not be who have been hounding him and trying to assassinate him. Likewise, we are in the dark valley, but yet we can be in the presence of God. He prepares a table for us. 25 years ago, a man in my church in the state of Washington, uh, his son died in an, in an automobile accident. and So uh, he called me and I talked to him on the phone and we met a few days later at 4 a.m. in the morning at a local diner. He worked at the local mill and he worked this crazy shift and it just seemed like that was the best time to meet. So we met there at 4 a.m. and we were having breakfast together and I said, tell me about your son. This man, 55-year-old man, began to sob and to grieve right there in the diner. He was really rough around the edges. He gained his composure a few minutes later and grabbed the table like this and began to tell me about his son, how his son had, well, gotten on the wrong path and maybe in with the wrong crowd. His life had, well, turned to some drugs and but it was the alcohol addiction that really got him because he died while he was driving drunk. I remember going to the cemetery that day with them and we uh, gathered around the coffin. It was about 30 of us that day. And on my left were some grieving parents and then sprinkled out were a few relatives and then a couple of the young man's friends. And I read Psalm 23 because the parents wanted me to and I read that verse surely goodness and mercy or love and goodness will follow me all the days of my life I read that and the young woman beside me in her early 20s said that's not true what do you say when somebody feels that way I wish I could tell you I stopped that little graveside ceremony and led her to Christ right there, but I didn't know what to say, and it seemed like such an inappropriate time to have a discussion. Oh, I know what the counseling books tell me to say in those situations. Oh, I know what Scripture tells me to, to maybe say in those situations. But what do you say to somebody who feels like God's love, mercy, and compassion is so far away? I grieve for people who are in that situation. They don't know God personally. Or if they do, they have just drifted away so much that they've forgotten about it all. Either way, they're not experiencing God's love and God's mercy at this very time. Maybe as you're listening to me, you need to be reassured that Jesus wants you in His presence. And that Jesus, in fact, the verse means to dwell in the house of the Lord. It means, it means that God is pursuing you. It's a very active verb. 
His love is pursuing you. In fact, it's the Hebrew word hesed, which is the Hebrew way of saying the word grace. He's unconditionally coming at a, after us. Some of your translations will say loyal love. It's the, it's the love of a loyal father coming after you and pursuing you. He wants a relationship with you. Even in the dark places, he's there. Even in those difficult places, God is right there with you. In the New Testament, we get some other clues about the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus says that he is the shepherd in John chapter 10, verse 2. says this, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And then in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then Jesus goes on in verse 14 to just emphasize this. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he laid down his life for you. If he laid down his life for you, he will certainly be there with you through every dark place, every place that you feel empty. He will be there, and he has made a table for you, and he is pursuing you. In Psalm 23, in these six verses, there are only three verbs, and they really stick out. In fact, I want you to write them down or take note of them. In fact, I have some discussion questions, and I want you to, to be asking yourself a question about these three verbs. But here we go. The first one is, I lack nothing. The second verb is, I shall not fear. And the third one is, I shall dwell. I lack nothing, I fear not, I shall dwell in God's presence forever. That's the promise of the Good Shepherd to you. That's His promise. What do I say to those who are in the grip of fear while they're in the deepest valley? Here's what I tell them. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Listen for his voice, and he will be speaking to your heart. It might be a sermon you hear. It might be a song that we sing together today. It might be reading scripture on your own. It might be prayer. But if you're looking, I believe that God will whisper to you, and the good shepherd will tell you, I like nothing. I fear not and you will dwell in God's presence forever. That's an amazing way. You cannot unsubscribe from problems. You have to go through them. So really, the only way to unsubscribe to them is to actually go through them. And King David gives us an outline on how to go through things you cannot unsubscribe from. So glad that you're watching today and 
we've had so many people watching online and last Sunday at Easter we had I think uh, well over uh, 700 views, maybe 800 views of our Easter service. That, that's a lot of people watching. But I want you to know, even though we can't meet together in person, we are still spiritually connected through the Good Shepherd. I'm going to pray right now. I just encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and let's just pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Shepherd that you are the good shepherd and that we can listen to your voice. Even in difficult places, God, we ask that you'd be prompting our hearts, that you'd be whispering to us. Lord, I pray for everyone who is listening to me who is going through some difficulty. And I pray, God, that you would be shepherding them right now, giving them grace and compassion. And I pray that people's hearts would be open to you. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.